In Australia, the debate over religious discrimination has flared again. Melbourne businessman Andrew Thorburn quit as chief executive of the Essendon Football Club because the board objected to his role chairing a conservative evangelical church. Mark Fowler is a lawyer specialising in anti-discrimination law and also a professor at New England University. Mark, uh, thanks for joining us. Does Andrew Thorburn have a potential legal case after Essendon told him to choose between club and church and he chose the church? Thanks, Andrew. Look, there is certainly an arguable case here. Discrimination law within this country has been with us for 30 to 40 years. It intends to protect people from discrimination, including on the basis of their religious belief and activity, where uh, the discrimination is based on something that's completely irrelevant for the role that's being asked of them. So in this case, the question is, is Andrew Thorburn's association with a separate church or his religious belief relevant to his role? The question can be determined under two legislative regimes. So the first is under Victorian law, and there is certainly a case to be made that there's been direct discrimination against Mr Thorburn. The question is whether or not the attribute, which is in this case religious belief and activity, and the second attribute, which is his association with the church and its belief, whether or not the action was taken because of that attribute. Now, now we don't have a religious discrimination law yet. Maybe we won't ever have one. Uh, So is there existing case law that he can use? Does it exist as a precedent? The interesting thing is, um, Andrew, that in this country, the case law is indeed very nascent in this area. So it's very developing. We only have a few leading cases which really look at the question of the contention that can be (laughs) caused by religious belief in today's secular society. So there's very few cases to actually guide us. And that, I think, was one of the reasons that the religious discrimination bill was being proposed by the former government and indeed has been taken to the last election by the Labor government as an election commitment. So there was a sense that there was a lacuna in our law and indeed the UN Human Rights Committee and its periodic review confirmed that on several occasions for us, that lacuna being that Persons, in, as a matter of Commonwealth law, are not protected from religious discrimination. New South Wales and South Australia has no protection against religious discrimination. Yeah, so, uh, so, so Victoria does have this law, though. Yes, Victoria has this law. And I was also going to say that the Commonwealth in the Fair Work Act, it's Section 772, also has a protection. Now, in this particular case, the facts are, as we know them in the public domain, it would seem that there's been a constructive dismissal. So you can't ask someone to step down from their role on the basis of their religious belief, personal or their association with a church that they attend. And then they do step down from that role. And then you say, well, they consented to it. You can't consent to discrimination against yourself. So this would be arguably a constructive dismissal, which would mean that it would also fall under Section 772 of the Fair Work Act. If I may just clarify this technical point of law for your listeners, under the Victorian Act, it must be a substantial reason, his termination on the basis of his religious belief or his association, the separate church. Under the Fair Work Act, there is no substantial reason test. And so it may be a clearer argument that he's got there. The question will then be under that particular regime whether it is an inherent requirement of his role. 
the inherent requirement of, of his role to be what religiously neutral or uh, I mean what would they would That's argue right. that the Essendon would say well his his role is to be religiously neutral correct so the question then becomes yes is it an inherent requirement that he actually refrain from an association with the church that has those views publicly expressed mm-hmm. is that necessary for him to perform his role And so then it really becomes an evidentiary question. Does his prior performance at the NAB and Bank of New Zealand, and as he said, his ability to lead inclusive and diverse workplaces, that will certainly be relevant to the question as a matter of evidence. This has echoes of the Israel Folau case, which, of course, was never resolved at law. We do know that Folau, through the media reporting, got a multi-million dollar payout from Rugby Australia. But it seems to me, Mark, that institutions involved in these sorts of cases are very reluctant to have them resolved by a tribunal or a court. Why? There's a lot of reasons why a uh, litigant won't progress a claim to an actual hearing. There's a lot of emotional burden, I guess, that goes with it. I remember posing to a Queensland Supreme Court judge a few years ago in a conversation on religious freedom. Was there a public interest in seeing greater clarity through more litigation in this area? And she was vehement in her response that no, no one ever wins through litigation. But that does mean that we do have a degree in which the law is not clear for litigants. That then means that there is some degree of uncertainty in taking a matter to court. So oftentimes matters will be settled. There is a need, I think, for greater clarity in existing law around these issues, particularly around vilification law. I think we would all be benefited by the courts actually issuing some judgments, which fills in some of the detail here. But as I was saying, first principles in respect to the Thorburn claim, it is very clear that anti-discrimination law within this country was initially motivated by the desire to protect persons against such detrimental treatment on the basis of their religious belief. Now, another potentially controversial area, because there are laws, I think, now in about three or four states dealing with um, so-called gay conversion therapy. Now, the motivation behind these laws was quite clear. There were terrible cases of people who were subjected to physical conversion therapies, but it's become a little more unclear because there is this question, I think, at least in Victoria, as to whether you can even say a prayer to change someone's sexual or gender orientation. Is that right? That is correct, Andrew. So the legislation actually lists prayer as an unlawful activity. I think it's the first such case in Australia's history. Religious leaders have come out with great concern around the Victorian law. Similar laws are also legislated in the ACT and Queensland. I might just tease apart some of the differences. So uh, the law in Victoria seeks to prevent anyone attempting to change or suppress someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. And the law operates in respect of a practice or conduct directed against such a person with that intention. I think the easiest thing we can do at the moment is because there's been no judgments actually issued, no prosecutions that have entailed from this law. So we look to what the government have released in respect of what they see the operation of this law. And I think it's illustrated by a question that was put during the debate in Parliament to the then Attorney-General. The question was, let's take the hypothetical uh, scenario of a man in his 40s 
he's married with children. He now understands himself to be gay, but he wants to commit to the relationship with his wife and the raising of his children. Is that now unlawful? And the Attorney General's response was, you cannot consent to conversion therapy, which the law makes clear. So she was saying, yes, that is a conversion therapy practice where that man consents to that, and presumably it's the wife that's engaged in the unlawful activity. If we look to the Victorian Equal Opportunity Human Rights Commission website, there's an illustration provided there of a father who affirms, in that case, Christian teaching to his daughter in the context of the family. That is also conversion therapy within Victoria. In Queensland, the regime only applies to health service professionals. It has those same tests of change and suppress, but then it captures counsellors. So it's not well understood that it actually captures pastors and chaplains, as the Queensland Health Department made clear. And so it would capture things like marriage counselling. If there was a married couple in which a question of sexuality arose, to affirm and apply Christian or indeed Islamic or many of the other major faith traditions, their teaching on these things would be unlawful. Okay, thanks, Mark. We'll leave it there. Anti-discrimination expert and law professor Mark Fowler. And you're on the Religion and Ethics Report with me, Andrew West.